We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. You'll probably know this, probably be familiar to you. And it says, but reading from verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Wow, it's an amazing story. It's fantastic. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did what the angel commanded him to do, There's so many things that we can focus in on that story, but what I want us to focus in on this morning is what what the angel said to Joseph in that dream. He said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, most people, we're always having babies born in this church. It's amazing. (laughs) There's been so many, I've lost count. But most people, they agree on it an idea of what name they want to call their children. Some of them might disagree to start with, but, you know, they have to come to a compromise at the end. Both my mum and dad were in agreement about calling me Jenny. And it is definitely Jenny, and it is not Jennifer. And if you call me Jennifer, I will ignore you, okay? (laughs) So, got that sorted. They both agreed on how they were going to spell the name. So, you might not know, there's two different ways of spelling the name Jenny. They both agreed no debates about it, it was going to be spelt J-E-N-N-I-E. So I came along, my dad was very excited, went to the pub, had a few drinks to celebrate the birth of his wonderful daughter, then he went to register my birth, came back with a birth certificate, and my name was spelt J-E-N-N-Y, which is what it's been ever since. (laughs) So I don't know why they picked that name, and I don't know if they... Uh, just it was a name that they liked. I'm, I'm assuming that they never looked at the meanings of names, but lots of names have really good meanings. And uh, um, it depends which website or which book you look in, up in. You know, I've looked on several. Jenny uh, has several meanings. Apparently, it's a Celtic name, meaning white wave, which means that I'm named after the frothy bit of the sea. <laughs> or... It has a Cornish, uh, there's a Cornish name, and that means fair and yielding. I don't know what that means either, but it's definitely not me. I found this one, I looked on the website this week, it's the first time I've seen this one. It says that Jenny is a derivative of the name John, and it means God has been gracious. So that is the one that I'm now adopting. (laughs) Mary and Joseph, they didn't sit down and run through all the names that they liked. They didn't debate about whether their son should be named after her father or his father. Their son was to be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. 
The name Jesus means God saves. So every time they called him, every time someone said the name Jesus, they were declaring the precious truth. They're declaring who Jesus was and what he was going to do. God saves. And in verse 22 of that passage tells us that all this took place to fulfill what God has spoken about 700 years before to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He shall be called Jesus, God saves, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. I grew up going to church. I grew up knowing the Christmas story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a stable because there was no room at the inn. The angels appeared to the shepherds and the wise men turned up following a star. I knew the story. I even got to be Joseph in the nativity, which is what happens when you go to girls' brigades and there are no boys. I was told that I was the tallest, so to put a tea towel on my head and go and stand next to Mary. And that's how it happened. But sometimes it's really easy to know about God without ever really knowing God. Knowing about someone is not the same as knowing them. I knew the story of Jesus' birth but I had no comprehension why God wanted to be born as a baby. And that these two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, they're not just random names, but they're the names that declare God's plan and God's purpose. Things can become so familiar to us that we lose the wonder and the anticipation and we fail to grasp the true meaning of events. But this is really is the Christmas story. This is the gospel. God came to earth to be with us because he came to save us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. This is God, the almighty sovereign God, the God who existed before the world began, the God who created everything, the God who spoke and things came to being, the God that is so vast and powerful, so holy and so much greater and more majestic than we can ever begin to imagine or comprehend. This God came to earth to be with us. In the book of John, right at the beginning, John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus existed long before that night in Bethlehem. The word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us has always existed. In the beginning was the word. He was with God and he was God. And through him all things were made, which means nothing has its existence apart from him. He has never not existed, but he chose to make himself human, to be God with us, and to save his people from this, their sins. Now, just have some water. Sorry. On Tuesday night, a few of us from our Alpha table, we got together and we watched a DVD called Indescribable. 
Some of you might have seen this. It goes through this whistle-stop tour of the universe, looking at all these amazing pictures from the Hubble telescope. And basically, it's looking at how vast and complex and extraordinary and amazing the universe is, and how many billions and trillions of planets there are. It's just so amazing. We cannot comprehend how big the universe is. And yet, the Bible says... By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And in Psalm 147, he says, He determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. God spoke and they came into being, each one of them. We can only estimate how many planets and stars there are. We kind of, scientists would look at, What do we know of the known universe, let alone the unknown universe? And we just guess at it, but God calls them each by name. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Light that travels at 186,000 miles per second, which if you're not sure how fast that is, that means that light can travel around the circumference of the earth seven and a half times in one second. That is fast. God spoke and light appeared. That is how powerful God is. God who holds billions of galaxies in his hand, he chose to come to just a teeny weeny micro part of his universe in order to be God with us. That is incredible. The word became flesh became human and dwelt amongst us. This literally means that God pitched up his tent, he moved in. The Christmas story is about God getting up close and personal with us. This is the good news that the angels came to tell the shepherds. God is with us. Jesus is God in flesh, hanging out with ordinary sinful people, This is what makes Christianity unique and the Christmas story so special. Jesus, God who saves, is not a guide to show us the way to salvation. Jesus is the way of salvation. The Bible makes claims about Jesus that no other religion would ever make about anyone. Jesus is the unique creator God who has come in flesh. He's not a prophet that is pointing us to God. He is God revealing himself to us. And God, whatever you may think of God, is not a distant God. We don't have to try to impress God in order to gain his attention. We don't have to try and prove ourselves or prove our worth to him. Whatever we do for God is not about us getting God's attention. The good news that Jesus came to earth to live as a man is more about God than us. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not about steps that we need to complete in order that we can reach God, because that's religion. The gospel is God reaching out to us. All other religions are about what we can do to earn God's acceptance and his approval and what we can do to hopefully maybe get God to notice us. But Christianity is about what God has already done for us. God knows that even our best efforts are going to fall short of his perfection. We cannot earn his approval or his acceptance. 
God came to show us that it's not by our own efforts. It's by his doing. It's by his initiative. It's motivated by his love. He is not a distant God, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. And, you know, it's fantastic today. We've had baptisms. We've heard stories of how God's changed people, how he's given them hope and a new life. And baptism, we've already said it, but baptism is that symbol of dying to our old way of life, the life that we lived independent of God, and then being raised again to live with Christ. We're now alive in Christ, living the life for him, living his way. And it's not that Elizabeth or Simon or Stacy, they haven't done anything to impress God. You know, Simon even said it, you can't, you can't live up to those standards. It's not about what they've done. But what they have done is they've admitted that they've fallen short of God's standards. And they've decided that instead of trusting in their own efforts, they've chosen to trust in what Jesus has already done for them. Now, I was brought up going to church. I thought I was a Christian. I thought, you know, if you believed in God, you know, if you, you had a Bible and you read it a few times and you said your prayers and you went to church on a Sunday, then that's what all there was to it, you know. I honestly didn't believe, didn't know that there was anything else to it. And then when I was 17, I met this bunch of Americans who explained the gospel to me for the first time. And it really was like this light bulb moment. I understood for the first time how much God loves us. That our sin, our own selfishness, even our own beliefs that we know better than God have separated us from truly knowing God and being in relationship with him. No matter how good we try to be, no matter what we might do to impress God with our righteous acts or our sacrifices or our religious practices, we fall short of God's holiness and his perfection. We can never be good enough on our own. So God took the initiative. God humbled himself and became a man to live the perfect life that we couldn't and die in our place and take the punishment that we deserve so that through him we can have forgiveness of sins and new life in Jesus Christ. And as they explained this to me, it was like for the first time I understood the meaning and the purpose behind the, the Christmas story and the Easter story. But there was one thing that really clinched it for me. There was this lady, her name was Sue, she was American, and, and she showed me this verse in the Bible, and it's from Hebrews 13, it's verse 5, and, it, and it's God speaking, and God's saying, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God is with us. God is up close and personal. God who became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is the same God who's with us today. And when she shared that with me, I was sitting in McDonald's and I remember sitting there and I'm processing all this information. See, good things do come out of McDonald's. <laughs> I was processing all this information and I remember thinking, God, if all this is true, if you love me enough to leave heaven and come to earth, and die a horrible death for me so that I can be forgiven and know you. But not only that, if you're really promising to be with me forever, that this is a love that's going to last, that you're not going to change your mind, you won't abandon me for someone else, you won't leave me or die on me or walk out on me. If all this is true, then I'm in. 
I want to know you, God. Now, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I know that this promise is true. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God doesn't promise us an easy life, but he does promise to be with us, to equip us, to strengthen us, and he is faithful to his promises. But there's more to God than being with us and being a comforting assurance when life is tough. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, sovereign God, and he is the God that promises to be with us. This should change everything about how we see ourselves and how we live our lives. I remember when I was 19, I used to go door to door, knocking on the door, telling people about Jesus. It wasn't my favourite pastime. But we went to this estate in Battersea. It was these huge blocks of flats. They weren't tall blocks of flats. They were really, really long. And the thing about these blocks of flats were that the doors were not along a long corridor. I don't know who designed it, but yeah. That something needs, that the doors were always round a corner or round an alcove, so you never came out and just saw everything. So it was, it was just a horrible place to be. You never felt safe there. And the reason you never felt safe is because you never knew what was round the corner. You were always going round corners and little alcoves and finding doors. So I never really liked it. And then one day I got paired with this guy called Glenroy. Now, Glenroy was big, and I mean big. So, I don't know, he was maybe six foot three, but he was big. He was this guy that worked out down the gym. So he was tall and he was solid. And I remember getting in the lift and looking and thinking, well, I'm with Glenroy. (laughs) Nobody's going to mess with us. And it changed my attitude. It changed my confidence because no one was going to open the door. (laughs) And now I have Tony. who's big and tough, works out at the gym. (laughs) But the point is, it's not who we're with. It's not other people. It's when we're with God. We're with the most powerful person in the universe. God who flung stars into space. God is amazing. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's the one with us. And that's what should change our attitude. That's what should give us confidence in what we're doing. You know, I feel really challenged by this. I've been reading through the book of Exodus, which tells the story of how God delivered the Israelites um, from the Egyptians, and he took them on a journey to the promised land. But the problem was the Israelites, despite seeing God do these amazing miracles, I always think, why are you so stupid? You've seen God, but we're all like this. Even though they'd seen it, they were prone to forgetting what God had done and what he said, and they kept going off and doing their own thing. But Moses was different. When God threatened not to go with the Israelites into the promised land, but instead send an angel to guide them, Moses was having none of it. In Exodus 33, Moses is saying to God, and he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses had seen God at work. He'd met with him. He'd seen his power and his glory, and nothing else would do. 
It's God's presence that he wanted. God with them. He didn't want an angel or sat-nav instructions on how to get to the promised land. It was being with God. It was journeying with God. It was knowing him and walking with him that Moses wanted. That's what I feel challenged about. And so my question is, what about us? Is that what we long for too? I want to be like Moses. But sometimes I know I get too focused on the destination on wanting answers rather than on wanting God. And a few months ago, if you were here in September, um, you'll remember that Dave challenged us that it's time for an adventure. And I feel like God maybe wants to prod a few people today and say it's still time for an adventure. When God is with us, he can transform our everyday ordinary, mundane lives into the extraordinary. God has come to us. And Jesus promised that it's not just a one-off visit or a weekly get-together on a Sunday morning, but that he wants to take up residence permanently. He wants to journey with us every day and that we know his presence with us every day. God is not an emergency kit for when we run into trouble. And we need a bit of extra help. Why have ordinary when extraordinary is on offer? Why settle for less when we can have more? Why limit God to visiting rights when he wants to move in and take up residence? This isn't about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's not about being super spiritual or anything like that. This is about inviting God into our everyday, ordinary lives and allowing him to make them extraordinary. As God reveals himself to us, but not only reveals himself to us, but he reveals himself to other people through us. We have this amazing part to play. When God spoke to Joseph, he believed it and he changed what he was going to do. Joseph planned to divorce Mary quietly, but God spoke into the situation and showed Joseph that what had happened was not what he thought had happened. God, through his angel, revealed his plan and the miracle that he was doing. But Joseph still had to respond. It must have sounded crazy to Joseph, you know, impossible even. And I guess that's why God sent an angel. But Joseph had to make a choice. He could continue with his plans to divorce Mary or in faith, he could believe that Mary was carrying the Messiah that the the, the Jews had been waiting for. He could either reject the word that had come to him Or he could believe in faith that the child was not an ordinary child and that he, Joseph, had a part to play in God's plan. Now, Joseph acted in faith. There would have been days when he probably doubted, when others would have questioned his actions, but he would have held on to those words spoken to him. This child is Emmanuel, God with us, and he will save his people from his sins. And we've got a choice too. We've got a choice in how to respond. For those of you that have never known God in this way, and you know, you're thinking, you know, for Stacy and, and uh, Simon and Elizabeth, I've never experienced that. I've never experienced what they've experienced. Then there's an opportunity for you to know Jesus today. It's not about what you have 
or haven't done. It's about what God has already done for you. Jesus lived the perfect life and he died so that you can know forgiveness for your sins and have new life in him. But for those of us that are Christians, there's a promise that God is with us every day and in every circumstance. So the question is, will we take God at his word and in faith trust that the God who does miracles, the God who came to save his people, will work through you and me? Are we going to live in such a way that we know God with us every day? And because of that, we invite God into our lives to direct our time, to direct our plans, to direct our conversations and our actions. Do we believe that we've got a part to play in God's plan just like Joseph did?